Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews and Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to The Empowered Investor. My name is Keith Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marcelo Tabuata. Marcelo, how are you today? Keith, I'm doing great. I am super excited for today's show. It is going to be a very interesting subject for the listeners. So can't wait for people to listen to this one. You're absolutely right. It is a very niche subject. So it's tight. It's not going to apply to everybody, but it is a fascinating subject. And we've experienced some of this with our existing clients. Today's subject is voluntary disclosure. So what exactly is that, Marcelo? Stephen does a better job of explaining exactly what it is, but voluntary disclosures is pretty much when you're a Canadian and you find yourself in a situation where you have an undeclared asset that you were supposed to declare to the government and you say, oops, I have this assets, now I have to come forward. So you call somebody like Stephen and he then goes and declares this asset to the government and enters the program that's called voluntary disclosures. Now, the interesting thing about this, Keith, is that a lot of Canadians may find themselves in a situation where they're doing everything by the book, but then they inherit something from their parents or a family member. And in there, there was a, an undeclared asset that now has to go through the voluntary disclosure program. So maybe sometimes you find yourself owning a house abroad or a portfolio of assets abroad or money abroad, and you haven't been declaring that. So when you do find out that you have to declare it, this is where you enter the voluntary disclosure program. So this is a great program that the government created. So if you live in Quebec, you go through the Revenue Quebec program. If you live anywhere else in Canada, you go through the CRA program. So it is something that is not very common, but thankfully the government created these programs to relieve the stress of a lot of people because sometimes it's negligence, right? It's not people who are outrighting trying to cheat the government. So the government recognizes this and gives the opportunity for people to come clean and fix the situation. Yeah. And we've seen this through and helped probably a half a dozen clients or individuals that have come to us because they know that this needs to be taken care of. And so Stephen really is an expert in the field. Tell us a little bit about Stephen, our guest today. Yeah, so today we interview Stephen Solomon. He's a fantastic lawyer. He is a partner at the Grand Pre Shade. So he's a member of the tax law team. So Stephen is an expert in many areas of taxation. So he litigates. He's an expert in many areas of like estate planning and anything that has to do with taxes. But his expertise and his niche practice is on voluntary disclosures. So he's helped a tremendous amount of people and brought back to Canada a tremendous amount of money. And he is the go-to guy when it comes to voluntary disclosure. So the interview was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from him. He is super qualified. He is also the North American chair of the global tax team of Interlaw. So that is a prestigious international legal network of lawyers. So 
he specializes in, like I said, voluntary disclosures in people who have foreign assets who are undeclared or any type of asset that hasn't been declared. So you go to him and then he deals with the government and tries to find a solution through the voluntary disclosure program. Well, Stephen is a true expert. We're very appreciative of having him on today's show. Marcelo, have a great interview. Enjoy. Stephen, welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. How are you today? Hi, Marcelo. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Stephen, I still remember how we met, and I think it's very telling of the times. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated how open and available you've been to myself and the firm. So I do thank you for taking the time and being with us today. I think we have a fascinating subject. You're obviously an expert in tax law. You do practice in a lot of areas, but one area that I wanted to talk to you today is about voluntary disclosures, which is an area that you're an expert on. But before we jump in, I want to ask you about, tell me a bit about yourself, like how you end up being a lawyer and why uh, tax law? Sure. So um, I'm 39 years old. I grew up in the West Island. Was always told that I would be a good lawyer growing up. You know, looking back, it's a little weird. How do you look at an eight-year-old and say, hey, you would be a great lawyer? I, I don't know. But, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I was kind of encouraged growing up. And it just kind of fit with the natural path that I had chosen from an education perspective. I studied commerce and CGEP and, you know, I wasn't so much into sciences and I was a good student. So, you know, naturally aim high. And if I wasn't going to go into sciences, I guess law seemed like a good natural. A bit of a fluke how I became a tax lawyer per se. I never really had much of an interest in tax law. I didn't really know much about what it was to be a tax lawyer and just actually stumbled into it. I was traveling after graduating law school. I was in South America for several months and I came back and I was attending my nephew's birthday party and I met someone there. And a week later, I was working in a tax law firm and learning the ropes on the job and having looked back. Here we are 12 years later. And that's how it happened for, for me, which is a little bit unusual and uncustomary when compared to my other colleagues. You know, we're about 20 tax professionals at my law firm, De Grand Prix Chate. I don't know if anybody else took the same path that I did. I highly doubt it, but couldn't have asked for more. I saw your uh, LinkedIn profile and I know you did an economics degree at McGill. So I thought that was interesting. Did that help you at all in choosing tax or in your law degree? Not really. When I started university, I was at McGill. I was going to get an undergraduate degree. I wasn't going to go straight into law school. So I got a degree in, in economics at McGill. And when I chose economics, I had law school in mind down the road. I thought that it would be complimentary. It just so happened I ended up being a tax lawyer and it was even more complimentary than I would have expected it to be had I become some other type of lawyer. But things for me, I must admit, I've been fortunate and lucky and I got good bounces and things just sort of fell off, you know? And I think that in the legal profession, you kind of on one hand have to try and control your own destiny. But on the other hand, you kind of have to surrender to the forces that shape the industry. And hopefully by putting yourself in the right position and by exposing yourself to the right opportunities, hopefully those larger forces at play end up sort of just knocking you into the right place. And, and then the dust settles and it's as if it was, you know, but so for me, uh, that, that was my path. And I've been at the Grand Prix Chate now for more than a decade. 
and very blessed to be here. It's a great law firm, a great culture, excellent lawyers, multidisciplinary, very proud of the tax team that I'm a part of that I've helped build over the last decade. And I couldn't be more proud than to be a partner at the Grand Prix Chape. Right. And I remember the, the day we met, it was immediately evident that you were very passionate about the subject. And I definitely could identify with that. And what you said at the beginning, it's like sometimes you don't know what you're going to work in, but you kind of have to find that passion and then you become good at it and then it becomes an even stronger passion. So I definitely see that in your career. And we've worked in a few files together and I've always appreciated the way you approach clients. You have a great way of talking to people and, and I always appreciated that. Thank you, Marcelo. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny how things evolve. When I started by accident, sort of, you know, at this boutique tax firm, I started out doing tax litigation, defending taxpayers against Revenue Quebec and Canada Revenue Agency. And I still do a lot of that. That was my initial calling. And I was very grateful to be introduced to that niche and to learn from a great lawyer at this boutique tax firm. And after a couple of years, you know, it wasn't that, that wasn't where I was destined to be, but it was where I was destined my feet wet and kind of figure out what my path would be and what kind of a lawyer I would be, et cetera. And a couple of years later, it was time to move on. And I came to the Grand Prix Chate and I was working with a lawyer named Gilles Broussard, who, who mentored me for many years. And this was in about 2011. And it was at that time where offshore banking and tax havens and stuff that we kind of had only heard about in the movies, but in truth were a very real reality for a lot of people. You know, all of that was sort of kind of being brought into the spotlight and what was a very secretive clandestine world was, was suddenly being exposed to, to everybody and it was on 60 Minutes. You know, so it just so happened that I came to the Grand Prix when all of that was happening and countries were starting to realize that people weren't paying their taxes and we got to get together. We all have the same problem. Let's cooperate together to find the solution. And so all of that was sort of happening when I came to the Grand Prix and I started working in voluntary disclosures, which, you know, we'll talk more about. And for me, it was on one hand, it was very natural and organic how I ended up at the Grand Prix Chate how I ended up being a tax lawyer, how I ended up doing tax litigation and voluntary disclosures, all that was very organic. It just kind of happened. It wasn't something that I strategized to become or something that happened because of purposeful steps that I took. But as this was all organically unfolding and I was coming to the Grand Prix and offshore banking is really being scrutinized and people are running to do voluntary disclosures, it, it was exciting. It was exciting to be a part of something that was real and that was current and that was new and that was fresh and that was relevant to the world. I've been watching 60 Minutes every week for years and it was amazing for me to see an HSBC a banker from Switzerland being interviewed and he was hot and at the airport and now he's in the, there was a news article and now everything's unraveling. So it was an exciting time and it was an interesting way that I kind of stumbled into what I developed an expertise in. Right. So let's talk about the uh, voluntary disclosure problem. Break down for me, explain to me what it is exactly and why should people care? Yeah. So listen, voluntary disclosure is a program that is offered by Revenue Quebec and the Canada Revenue Agency that's designed to allow taxpayers to come forward voluntarily and admit that they in their tax filings and to correct them 
without the same consequences that you would face if you were caught by the government. Okay, so if you come forward, we're going to make you a nice package, a nice deal. And the fact that you came forward on your own is going to count for something, right? So this is a program that's existed for a long time. Traditionally, it's a program that was used sparingly. You know, big companies sometimes don't realize when they don't report something, et cetera. But in around 2010, 2011, 2012, it started becoming very popular in the context of offshore bank accounts. And you have a lot of people, Canadian residents, who had bank accounts in Switzerland and Bahamas and Luxembourg, et cetera. And they had money there and it was invested and they weren't declaring the income. And this is something that, you know, has been happening for decades and decades and decades. And you would be shocked to learn how frequent and common it was for members of the Montreal business community to have these types of foreign bank accounts. And in 2010, 11 and 12, when everything was falling apart because information got leaked and there were newspaper articles and then bankers started sharing information. And as this all started to unravel, these Canadians who had these bank accounts started running to do voluntary disclosures because they were scared they were going to get caught. There was a lot of attention being drawn to what otherwise had been very secretive, you know, discreet matter for a long time. So people got nervous and it started to become very fashionable for these people to do voluntary disclosures and to come forward voluntarily and, and come clean on your own and make a deal. And for years, you know, I've been doing those types of files, negotiating those types of deals. And we've brought back to Canada, me and my team, well over a billion years and hundreds of millions of dollars in back taxes have been paid. And we've resolved a lot of stressful situations for a lot of taxpayers. And it's not always someone hiding money in Switzerland. Sometimes it's more benign. Sometimes you have someone who moved here from another country and they have assets in that other country and they didn't bring them and they didn't declare them, et cetera. Or sometimes someone will inherit money in another country. If you know, you're from India and your parents die in India and you inherit land or properties or investments in India and you don't declare it, you can be offside as well. And you know, voluntary disclosures are also very common when you're talking about estates or trusts or companies, because in those scenarios, you have people who are responsible for the liabilities of the trust or of the estate or of the company, right? We're talking about trustees, we're talking about liquidators, we're talking about directors. These people are liable for the taxes of the entities they control, so they often have a very serious interest in ensuring that the entities they control are tax compliant. So all kinds of scenarios in which the voluntary disclosure program is used but most frequently in the last decade, it's been a lot of foreign bank accounts, undeclared foreign income, etc. And we negotiate some pretty amazing deals, I must say. This is also like if you're a Canadian citizen and you own a house or a property abroad, it's any type of asset, correct? Yes. Well, listen, the obligations that people typically falter on, number one, you need to declare your worldwide income on your Canadian income tax return. So if you have a rental property in Egypt or in Florida and that property is making income, you have to declare the income on your Canadian tax return, even though it's not being earned or generated in Canada. Okay. If you have a foreign investment account earning interest and dividends and capital gains, you have to report that activity on your income tax return. 
Okay. So some people omit to report foreign income. Okay. And the second area where people falter is that when you have foreign assets that are not personal usage assets, you have to file a special form with your tax. And if you don't file that form and you get caught, the penalties can be very severe. So if you have a rental property in Florida that you're renting out, not only do you have to declare the income, but you also have to file this very special form. Okay. Let me ask you something more specific. What happens if you own a house, for example, and it doesn't collect any income? You still have to declare? First of all, there's no income to declare. And number two, you don't have to report that asset on the special form because it's a personal usage asset. Got it. Right? So if you have a condo that you use personally, it doesn't have to go on the form. Okay. That's great. To but know. if it's a rental property or if it's a foreign investment account, that has to go on the form. Right? So that's where people kind of get in trouble a little bit. And that's where voluntary disclosures are pretty popular. Yeah, there's always this perception, and I've heard this many times, some people think that it is illegal to own assets abroad if you are Canadian, but that's not the case. As long as you do it properly, you are entitled to own investments abroad, right? Yeah, listen, there's absolutely no Canadian law that prohibits you from owning foreign property, but the law says you have to declare your income, and the law says that you have to file your form, right? So the legality is related to the reporting of the income and the filing of the form, it's not related to the ownership of the foreign asset. Right. Okay. Let me ask you more about the specifics of the program. Like what's the state of the voluntary disclosure program in Canada and in Quebec? And if you can talk to me more about that. Living in a province other than Quebec, you file your voluntary disclosure only with the Canada Revenue Agency. If you live in Quebec, you have to file one with the Canada Revenue Agency, one with Revenue Quebec. The programs with Quebec and Canada are very similar. The general rule is that there's two programs. There's the general program and the limited program. We aspire to get all of our clients in the general program because in the general program, you get more benefits. In the general program, every single penalty and fine is canceled and a significant percentage of the interest owing is also canceled. And you also have an assurance that there'll be no investigations for tax, avoidance, or evasion. Okay. Wow. Whereas in the limited program, yes, you get that same assurance against any you know, criminal or penal investigations, etc. But only some penalties are canceled and no interest is canceled. These are what we call the new rules. It's a two-track system. Those who are really repeat offenders, who really plotted and schemed and, you know, were really purposeful in their intention to avoid paying taxes, those people are going to go in the limited program. So we're going to welcome you into the program and we're going to give you some relief, but you're also going to pay a little more than you would have had you just declared it originally because of the way you did it. Whereas if you're in the general program, we're getting you an even sweeter deal and you end up pretty much paying just the tax that you owe, maybe a little bit of interest, and that's it. Most importantly, taxpayers that participate in this program, they get peace of mind because a lot of people are stressed out about the things that they didn't do wrong. They know what they did, sleeping with one eye open, if you will. So, you know, I can see over the years how much peace and serenity I've brought to people who were otherwise 
very anxious about these types of issues. I could definitely see that. And I could also see a situation where they neglect the problem and then it ends up becoming the problem of their children once they pass away or, or the estate. And that it's not a good situation. Yeah, listen, you know, someone who does something like that on purpose is naturally inclined to maybe not address the issue. And you're right. We represent a lot of estates and a lot of trusts. And it's a lot of other people now cleaning up the mess, right? And unfortunately, there's a big psychology to this type of stuff. You know, I can see my clients and sometimes their unwillingness to participate in the program or their unwillingness to let go and to admit things to themselves. And and listen, that's sort of uh, sometimes the way it goes. And sometimes it's the, the, the kids or, or the spouse who have to clean it up. Yeah, I guess when you have that level of stress about money, it's like it just leads to more inaction and it just makes the problem worse. But I guess if you have the intention of coming forward, the government has created this great program for it. And I guess the door is closed after you're caught, right? Like, I mean, you have to address it. When of course, you can. because once you're caught, it's not a voluntary disclosure anymore. Now you're only disclosing because you got caught, right? So that doesn't work. And what's important also to understand is that why has everybody run to do voluntary disclosures, right? Why have I alone done more than 600 voluntary disclosures on assets exceeding $1.5 billion? Well, the reason is because all the countries that belong to the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, all of these countries have agreed to start sharing information. So if you have a bank account in Switzerland, Switzerland's going to tell Canada about it. And when Canada finds out about it, they're going to send you a nice little audit letter. And then you're going to call me and you're going to say, Steve, I received this audit letter from the CRA and they got information from Switzerland and they know about my account. And now, yeah, I'm going to be your lawyer and I can help you, but it's going to be what we call the hard way. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. Right. So knowing that countries are sharing information Knowing that getting caught is more an inevitability than anything, people are motivated to come forward, to face the music on their own, and grab whatever benefits they can. It's a much smoother, more tranquil path, and the end results are astronomically better. Listen, I represent people who do voluntary disclosures. I represent people who got caught. I represent both. And if you get caught, it's going to cost you at least double what it would have cost you in voluntary disclosure. So the incentives is there and the landscape is there. Of course, of course. You can see the international push of not only sharing information, like you just said, of the OECD, but now there's even a bigger push. Like, you know, you saw the Biden global tax. So it seems like it's very hard. And there's this international push to make everything fair for everybody, not only for corporations, but also for taxes, right? Yeah, and listen, you know, everything we're talking about in terms of offshore banking is part of a larger global discussion and global trend towards greater transparency. You look at the way the world is, the world is smaller today than it's ever been with social media, with telecommunications. We have tremendous ease sharing information and anyone can be anywhere at a time. And That trend towards a greater global transparency applies as much in communications and trade as it does in banking and in commerce. So not only is the end of offshore banking 
and voluntary disclosures a symptom of the larger issue, which is a, the trend towards greater transparency, but so is that Biden initiative, right, for a fairer tax system, right? What's fair is that everybody pay their taxes. Correct, correct. What's not fair is that you and I pay our taxes, but our neighbors have foreign bank accounts and they're not paying their taxes, right? So it's all in the name of greater equity and fairness in taxation. And Biden's package is very similar, right? And there's this global initiative called BEPS, B-E-P-S. And what BEPS is basically saying is that companies cannot structure themselves in a manner so that the vast majority of their income gets taxed in a more favorable jurisdiction when a lot of the work is being done in others, right? So, you know, famously, you know, you have Apple, who's like domiciled in Ireland or something like that and pays no taxes, even though, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the United States and other countries working for Apple and contributing to that bottom line. So Biden's initiative and the BEPS OECD global initiative and voluntary disclosures and country sharing information, et cetera, it's all perpetrated towards the same thing. It's all perpetrated towards greater international transparency and fairness and equity when it comes to taxation. You have a lot of America's greatest companies that don't pay a lot of tax in the United States. Well, I do see that as a positive, but going back to the voluntary disclosure program, do I think it'd be good for the listeners to go over some case studies. I don't know if you have, obviously without getting into any names for obvious reasons, but you know, if you can share with us some interesting cases that you've worked on, like maybe one with bad penalties and another one that ended up in like a nice relief type of thing. Yeah, listen, you know, we had one client who got caught. She was on a list of clients that was leaked from the HSBC Bank in Switzerland uh, in 2008, if I recall correctly. And she had about $2 million in Switzerland. And in the end, after years of litigation with both federal and provincial governments, it ended up costing her about 2.3. So she ended up, not only did she lose everything she had out there, but she had to dig into her Canadian pockets for about another 15%. And Whereas in voluntary disclosures, I mean, the results vary substantially. But I mean, we've had files where we've made deals at under 10%. Wow. You know, if you made a million dollars, under 10% could have been, you know, 5 to 8%. Now, though, that is an extremely positive conclusion to a file, but 40% is a lot better than 100%. Correct. Yeah, yeah, of right? course. And as long as the delta between doing a disclosure and getting caught remains big, the program will always be viable. It will always be popular. It will always have value and merit and taxpayers would be wise to consider it. If you do a voluntary disclosure, I guess there is that relief in the penalty, but you still have to pay the taxes of the years you haven't filed or declared that income, right? Yeah. But you know, these files are more complicated than than you can. And you know, a lot of the time, the facts about the case go back many, many years. The documentation is no longer available. It often involves other countries who don't have the same banking system that we do, you know, public document systems that we do. Sometimes the people involved are, are no longer with us. Sometimes the clients have died, their parents have died, the banker died, the accountant died. So we're often operating in a bit of a vacuum when it comes to information and documentation. 
So that opens the door to a little bit more of, you know, let's find the common ground and let's try to figure out what happened because it's not obvious, right? So because of the lack of certainty regarding the facts surrounding each individual case, sometimes it ends up being a little bit of a give and take in terms of, you know, carving out something that everyone can live with. Yeah, so we know a case of a person who became like the legal representative of a person and that person had undeclared assets, right? And they had to hire somebody like yourself and just puzzling all that together, it could be a lot of work because the, the assets were in another country and you have to contact people over there. So it can become problematic and, and messy, I guess. Yeah, listen, you know, we're accustomed to handling that situation. We have a lot of clients in that situation. That's the reality sometimes, you know, if you're a tutor to someone who, who's incapacitated or if you become a liquidator of an estate, et cetera, these things happen. We're connected to lawyers. You know, we're part of a legal network that has law firms in 120 cities across the world. So, you know, we have lawyers in these jurisdictions. And so we have boots on the ground if we need. And it's more difficult when you're a third party kind of taking over the administration of someone's affairs and you kind of stumble into this. And now all of a sudden you have to piece it all together because you're personally liable. But, you know, we manage, we always manage. There hasn't been a situation yet that we haven't been able to resolve. And one thing that's important to note is that these files with Revenue Quebec are very complicated. They take a long time. And Revenue Quebec tends to be pretty aggressive in terms of what they want. And I think it's important that professionals and your listeners, et cetera, be aware that we have so much experience negotiating those files. We have developed techniques to negotiate better settlements in my opinion, than any other law firm in Montreal. And if anybody finds themselves in a file represented by another firm and Revenue Quebec wants a whole lot of money, et cetera, and you think maybe you'd like to get a second opinion, you know, I would really encourage people to come hear what we have to say because we have some really interesting tactics to negotiate better settlements. You know, we have a lot of clients who have come to us for second opinions once they got to the negotiating table with Revenue Quebec. And they ended up coming to us and we got them better deals than they would have otherwise gotten. So we're at the point now where a lot of these files are being negotiated with Revenue Quebec. And if ever someone doesn't like kind of what their representative is telling them, feel free to come to us for a second opinion. Right. So let me ask you, what advice would you have for regular Canadians that may encounter situations like that? In simple terms, what should they be looking at? in terms of doing if they find out they have some undeclared assets or they do know they have undeclared assets, what's the best course of action like immediately? Yeah, listen, the best course of action is to inform yourself. Information is power. A lot of people don't know what their obligations are, don't know where they went wrong, don't know how to fix it. And they need to be escorted and guided through that analysis in terms of getting a grip on the situation and, and doing what's best. In general, it's better to deal with things. You know, when it comes to taxes, there's interest, there's penalties, things always get worse. Today's problem is a lot easier to deal with than tomorrow's problem. You know, the whole penny wise, pound foolish, spend $2 today or $10 tomorrow, but address these issues. They don't go away and they don't get better. They always get worse. So be proactive. And I guarantee you that someone who has this issue something maybe that they're reluctant to address, they will feel a lot better once they've spoken with me or one of my colleagues. 
because we're confident and we know exactly what we're talking about and that type of assurance and having that on your team and being equipped with that knowledge is very empowering. Right. Steve, if I can get away with a few more questions here. <laughs> sure. One scenario that I could see happening with a lot of people is maybe somebody in your family dies and you inherit assets and maybe some of those assets weren't declared. What should that person do? Is that a problem that stays on the estate or is that a person now, for example, if I inherit some assets from my parents and they didn't declare something, now is my problem. Like, How would you advise somebody in that situation? Yeah. So if you're the heir of an estate and you inherit something from a deceased person and that person did not pay all their taxes, the government can come after you, the heir, for the unpaid taxes of the deceased and they can collect against you up until the amount that you received from that person. So if you inherit $100,000, but that person owed the government a million dollars in taxes, they can come after you and take that $100,000 from you. Got it. Okay. If the person only owed 50 and you inherited 100, well, they can only come after you for 50, right? But an heir, as well as not only an heir, but also a liquidator, as we discussed earlier, both of these people have an interest in ensuring that the deceased was tax compliant. Right. So the incentive is to always declare because the problem won't go away. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Death does not make it go away at all. Right. In fact, right. all that does is it transfers the problem from one person to another. Right. You can defer taxes, but you cannot avoid taxes, right? That's, That's the reality. What I mean, we're still trying to find a solution to that problem, but no luck. <laughs> yeah, there are many tools that people can use to save taxes, but you still have to pay them eventually. So that's an interesting thing. You know, in the 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc., when you look back and you look at how people managed to procure advantages for themselves, well, how did they do it? Well, they hid money, right? Like offshore bank accounts and stuff like that. They did very aggressive tax plannings etc. And what we've seen is that the government has really been clamping down on all this stuff, right? It's about being fair. It's about following the law. It's not about taking advantage. It's not about finding loopholes and twisting things and using it in a manner that it wasn't designed. Okay. And that's what our legislature, our tax laws are trying to channel us to, to, to do and to think. And there are still legitimate ways to do tax planning and estate planning and to shelter income from taxes and to create advantages for yourself. You know, you have your TFSA, you got your RSPs, you got your capital gains exemptions. There's things that you can do. And it's important, especially since our tax rates are so high, that your business be well structured and that your estate planning be well done and that you take advantage of any possible rollovers and tax deferrals, et cetera, that you can. But the opportunities are fewer but they're more legit. And it's more important now than ever to make sure that you're taking advantage of the legitimate tax benefits that are available to you because between the 53% highest income tax rate and then 15% sales tax and property tax and school tax and every other tax that we pay, which it seems it never ends, you know, you got to take advantage where you can. Right. I don't know if you like sports, but I think that a good analogy is basketball. So a lot of people say that basketball used to be tougher in the 80s than it is now. So players could get away with more contact and that type of thing. But at the end of the day, you're still playing a game that has boundaries and rules, right? Just because they become stricter doesn't mean that you can't play the game. So uh, I think that's a good analogy. 
Yeah. So, you know, people need to shift gears in terms of trying to find more legitimate solutions because the element are getting caught and it's not a good time to commit to something that is, you know, not so compliant. But there are other strategies that people should be wise enough to research and to do whatever can. Of course. So let me ask you one more thing. Uh, there's a lot of buzz right now in the media about cryptocurrencies. And I don't even know how the government is treating this. But on a tax wise, if you're buying or selling cryptocurrencies, what would you advise people? How should you go about declaring this type of gains if you're having any gains on them? Yeah. So listen, you know, we represent quite a few people with large crypto holdings. And from a tax perspective, like we discussed before, number one, you have to declare your worldwide income. It doesn't matter if it's derived from crypto trades or whatever. If you bought Bitcoin for a dollar and you sold it for $2, you have a capital gain. You have to report that income, right? So a lot of people didn't do that. Every time you sell, you realize a gain or a loss and you have to report that gain or loss. In addition, if you're very frequently, it might be considered business income, whatever you're making from cryptocurrencies, right? So similarly with trading stocks, okay? If you do one transaction a week, one transaction a month, no problem. It's capital gains and losses. But if you're doing multiple trades every day, you're day trading, that's business income. And you have to declare your gains and losses as income. So number one, if you're into crypto, make sure you're declaring your transactions because believe me, the government is aware and they're looking and they're coming up with plans to, 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 you know, to, to come down on everybody. And you also have to make sure that if your crypto holdings are in another country, that you file that special form that we spoke about earlier to declare your foreign asset. Okay. So we've done voluntary disclosures for people who made a lot of money in crypto, but you know, in 2018, et cetera, and who never declared it and are offside in a major way, those are pretty popular files these days because, you know, crypto's gained a lot of value in recent times. Make sure you declare your income. If, if it's crypto, it's, it's like anything else. It's like buying or selling gold or stock or property or, or anything. And make sure you file your forms for foreign assets. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this because I do see a lot of people out there thinking that this is a game where they can just collect money and not pay any taxes. And that's definitely not the case. And Marcelo, what's very important is that they maintain records of their crypto transactions. Maybe you did some transactions on a crypto exchange that doesn't exist anymore. And now you can't get the details of your purchases and your dispositions. That's going to make it more difficult to establish your gains and losses, right? So it's very important that people who do crypto transactions that they regularly maintain history of their transactions so that down the road, if they're audited, they're going to have the supporting documents that they are legally obliged to maintain. You know, if I need my bank statements from Toronto Dominion, I don't need to maintain them. I know I can call them anytime. TD's not going anywhere. Right, right. With these crypto exchanges, they come and they go. Some of them, there's fraud allegations. You, we see all kinds of things like, you know, the recent crypto fraud with the exchange in South Africa, the largest African crypto exchange. So it's important that you very actively download your statements and maintain your transaction history. Right. That's great advice. Stephen, before we break, I want to ask you, okay, so you're a Canadian. You just come to realize that you have an asset that you haven't declared and you want to do a voluntary disclosure. What's the first step that person should take? Give me a call. 
or get an introduction to me through yourself and we'll have a preliminary free consultation to see if you have reason to be nervous, there's some way we can help you. So don't be scared. Come get the information. We don't charge to kind of help people orient themselves. And there's really no reason why you should be discouraged from contacting us and informing yourself. Knowledge is power. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you taking the time and walking us through the voluntary disclosure program and your expertise. I'm wondering if you have a takeaway for people or you think we've discussed enough. Takeaway for people. I have one, but I'm going to wait for you to give yours. What are the chances that I have the exact same one as you? <laughs> <laughs> that would freak people out, I think. <laughs> I would say I would say mine is when in doubt, always declare. Yeah, I was going to say something more along the lines of, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah, that's a good one. I know you've heard my slogan before, uh, Marcelo, but kicking the can down the road never works. Not when it comes to tax law. That's one thing I've learned uh, over my years in the industry, and you can definitely count on that. You can run, but you can't hide. There you go. Let's leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen. Thank you, Marcelo. All the best. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor Podcast, hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.